All right, well, if you will take out your Bibles, let's look again at the book of Genesis in chapter 46. Genesis chapter 46. So we continue our verse by verse study of this first book of the Bible. Genesis 46. We're going to uh, be looking today at the end of chapter 46 and the beginning of chapter 47. And so uh, we'll be looking at beginning Genesis 46 and verse 28. And we will be in our study working through chapter 47 and verse 12. In this passage, Israel comes to Egypt. Uh, Jacob comes to the land of the pharaohs, the land of the pyramids, the land of hieroglyphs and mummification. This is the land where the mighty Nile River flows south to north, overflowing its banks and bringing life to Egyptian communities. This is the land of Ra, or Re, the sun god who rules among a plethora of other gods and goddesses. This isn't Canaan. This isn't the land of Bedouin tent dwellers who travel from place to place with their flocks and their herds. This is, this is different. This is the kingdom of Egypt. It is a brave new world for Jacob. He and his family are not planning on remaining here permanently. In fact, as we study this passage, there is one theme that seems to rise above all the others. It is the theme of sojourning. Uh, Jacob and his family are going to be sojourners in Egypt. Foreigners dwelling there for a little while. Egypt is not going to be their home. The promised land is their home, but they will dwell as sojourners in this land until the day God calls them back home. Now this passage should definitely resonate with us who are Christians. We can relate to what is happening with Israel and his family here. We know what it is to live in a brave new world that is not our home. We know what it is to live in a society that is constantly changing, a a society that is drowning in triviality and distractions. I entitled this sermon, Brave New World, uh, based on a book I read in high school. Uh, It was a book by a man named Aldous Huxley. He wrote it in 1932. It is a frightening book. Uh, Neil Postman, many of you are familiar with him, he understood it well. He said that when Huxley looked to the future, he did not so much fear governments oppressing people against their will. Huxley was not afraid of Big Brother. Huxley was afraid of people loving government's control over their lives. Huxley was afraid of government growing more and more powerful, people depending more and more upon it, and the people rejoicing that it was that way. Huxley was not afraid, as George Orwell was, of books being banned. Rather, he was afraid of a day when there would be no reason to ban books because nobody was reading them anymore anyway. Huxley spoke of a day when technology would replace people's need to think for themselves. 
He warned us of a day when there would be so much information available to us that the really important things would be overlooked, completely missed in the flood of info. He spoke of a day when sensual pleasures would be easy to have. And he said that people would waste their lives indulging in these pleasures and not actually doing anything that truly mattered. Postman said that Huxley was pointing to a day when people would simply amuse themselves to death. Well, Mount Hermon, I think he was prophetic because I think that is the world in which we now largely live. And friends, as Christians, we are sojourners in this world. Ours is a culture in which more people care about which movie star is marrying who than whether or not their own children are prepared to stand before Almighty God. This is a culture in which the most important truths are largely ignored. People get riled up over the small things and show no interest in the really important things. People drink from broken wells rather than the fountain of living waters. They think they've found true satisfaction. They live for today surrounded by a thousand entertaining distractions. The people of our society, their interests are a mile wide, but only an inch deep. And you and I are tempted every day to be just like that. You and I are tempted every day to find our significance, to find our happiness in various stuff of this world that will not ultimately matter. Friends, we must constantly remind ourselves that this world is not our home. It is passing away. We must keep our eyes on the prize of reaching our heavenly home, being with our Savior forever. If we allow our souls to become too engrossed in the things of this world, we will make shipwreck of our faith. We will lose the things that are eternal because of the things that are passing. And so this passage is a helpful reminder to us. Are we thinking right? Are we living with the right worldview? Are we thinking Christianly as we view this world? I want to point out four truths from this passage as we read through it that God gives to us as sojourners. Four truths that God gives to us as sojourners from this passage. And I want to open up this passage in four scenes. And so we're going to begin with scene one. And in this scene, Jacob and his long lost son Joseph finally reunite. And so let's begin reading in verse 28. And these three verses, it's only three. You might think he would have written a lot more, but it's only three that describe this reunion, but they are very heartwarming verses. Beginning in verse 28 of chapter 46, he, Jacob, had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. So Jacob's son Judah 
goes ahead of the rest of Jacob's caravan, traveling from Canaan to Egypt. Judah runs ahead to Joseph and says, Joseph, dad's on his way. You might want to come to Goshen and meet him. In the Hebrew, there's a real sense of urgency to Joseph's response. Joseph immediately prepares his chariot, goes to meet his father in Goshen. There is excitement in his soul. It has been so long since Jacob and Joseph have seen each other. He was but a boy when he left his father. He is now a man. He arrives in Goshen. He presents himself to his father. He falls on Jacob's neck and he weeps. Joseph is overcome with emotion. Joseph is overwhelmed with joy. Jacob is overwhelmed with a sense of peace. Having seen Joseph's face, he is ready to die. Uh, All is right with the world. Now remember, Jacob and Joseph had a special bond. What united Jacob and Joseph was more than just their father-son relationship. Jacob and Joseph had both walked with God for a long time through many difficulties. Remember, back when young Joseph was in his father's house, all of his older brothers were unbelievers, and they were living like it, and they were creating heartache for Jacob. But Joseph knew God. Joseph walked in integrity. He and his father shared a faith that the rest of the brothers had not truly embraced. And though they have been separated from each other for a very long time, both of these men, one in Canaan, one in Egypt, have been walking the path to heaven. Both of these men have been following their God. Both of these men have been trusting through amazingly difficult trials. Jacob was tested by the news that his son Joseph had died. Jacob was being tested by those rebellious, wicked sons of his, now at this point wondrously converted, but for so long they had been such a a thorn in his flesh, breaking his heart. Jacob had been tested by the turmoil of watching them all go to Egypt, not knowing whether any of them would return alive. Joseph had struggled to trust God as a slave in a foreign land. He had been tested by the slander of Potiphar's wife. He had been tested by years spent in a royal prison. And after all of these trials, for both of these men following their God, one in Canaan, one in Egypt, God was now granting for them to lay eyes on one another again. They were now going to be reunited And this was a precious, precious gift from God after such years of trouble. And so the first truth I want to give you, and it's one we saw last week, but it's good to be reminded of it. God is faithful to His sojourning people. God is faithful to His sojourning people. Take heart, brothers and sisters. Be of good courage in the midst of your difficulties. Yes, God ordains that there be much hardship in this life. But God also ordains those occasional sweet moments of overwhelming joy. We should learn to praise God for both. Know that after every trial and every tribulation that God has ordained for you has passed, 
you too will receive incredible joy as you lay your eyes on your Lord Jesus Christ. In the end, it will all have been worth it. Our God is faithful, and Jacob and Joseph are a testimony to that. Now, look at scene two. Scene two concerns Joseph's plans to make sure that his family has a safe place to dwell in Egypt until the famine is over. So where is Joseph going to put his family where they can be safe till the famine is over? Well, the place Joseph has in mind is Goshen. Why Goshen? Well, two reasons at least. One, Goshen is very near the border with Canaan. Goshen is very far in the northeast. You're northeast of Egypt, right? So, so here's Egypt, here's the Nile River, here's Goshen, here's Canaan. Okay? So Goshen is very close to the promised land. Should Israel need to make a quick escape out of Egypt back into Canaan, they're in the best possible place they can be to make that escape. Second, Goshen is on the outskirts of Egypt. And unlike Joseph himself, who was immersed in the Egyptian culture and lifestyle from the time he was brought into Egypt as a slave in Potiphar's house, it appears that Joseph wants Jacob's family to remain separate and distinct. Goshen is not exactly in the middle of the hubbub of Egyptian life. Goshen is a very rural area, a place where Jacob and his family can maintain their own lifestyle can worship the true God with relative safety, with relative freedom from persecution and hostility. However, in order for Jacob and his family to live in Goshen, they will need Pharaoh's permission. And Joseph knows how to be shrewd, right? Shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. Joseph knows how to be shrewd when it comes to these things. He has a plan to get Pharaoh's permission for his family to live in Goshen. So look at verse 31. Look at verse 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. You see here that Joseph's plan emphasizes making sure that Pharaoh knows that his family is a family of shepherds. This is a Bedouin family, a family that travels around in tents, following flocks, following herds. Why does Joseph want to emphasize that? Well, he wants to emphasize that because every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. It is well known that the people of Egypt here, looked down upon the Bedouins of Canaan, the shepherds of Canaan. Uh, By emphasizing that his family is a family of shepherds, 
Pharaoh will see that this family cannot or should not be placed in one of the main cities of Egypt. Uh, They need to be somewhere that is wide open. They need to be somewhere where the tensions between Egyptians and Bedouins won't create trouble. Put another way, Joseph is using the prejudice of the Egyptians to to the advantage of his own family. He plays on them to urge Pharaoh not to put his family in and among the main of Egyptian society. He wants his family to be on the outskirts of the kingdom so that they don't become Egyptians, but that they remain the family of Israel, committed to the true God and His ways. Now the second truth that we see here is this one. As sojourners in this world, we should anticipate prejudice and hostility. As sojourners in this world, we should anticipate prejudice and hostility. We are citizens of another kingdom living in this one. We are surrounded by people who see this world as their home. And they live according to the customs of this world. And you and I, as Christians, are going to live differently than the people around us. If we're going to be faithful to our God, that's going to mean that there are times when we are living and dying for things very different than what the people around us are living and dying for. Our values are going to be different. Our thoughts and attitudes are going to be different. Our conversations are going to center on different things. What we're doing right now, the way we use our Sundays, is going to look very different than the rest of the world around us. And as that distinction becomes more sharp in Mount Hermon, it's becoming more sharp. The distinction between Christian and non-Christian in our culture is becoming more clear. And as that continues to happen, there will be an increase in prejudice and hostility towards those who follow Christ. Now, by the way, that's partly for our good. Having the world treat us with prejudice and hostility reminds us that we are not like them and that we are not to be like them. We are to be separate. We are to be in this world, but not of this world. In places where persecution of Christians is absent, Christians more often are tempted to become worldly. It is so much easier for Christians to acclimate and to immerse themselves in pagan culture and society when there is no persecution around. In fact, the greater danger to Christians is not persecution, but a place where the world wants to make friends with us. And by the way, right now, that is largely where we live. Our southern society has embraced a form of Christianity that is false, that is minimal, but it still uses all the right words. Our southern culture has embraced a kind of Christianity that allows you to say you follow Jesus while still following your own will and the whims of your flesh. And we are invited to become friends with that, to make peace with that, to join into that cultural Christianity which gives you lots of wonderful privileges and requires nothing of you. But if you continue to be different, if you continue to insist that you're going to trust Jesus enough to actually do what He says, that's going to bring some sharp looks and some difficulty. Or friend, when persecution or hostility does come, we should have compassion on those around us. 
And we should remember that Christ suffered first. We should take heart that we get to be counted with Him. If we're not experiencing persecution, if we're not experiencing hostility, at least in our culture, if we don't occasionally get odd looks or raised eyebrows or questions asked about, you do what? If that's not happening, why is it not happening? Is it that our, maybe we're we not seeing this world as a foreign land through which we're sojourning? Have we come, become a bit too homely here in this land? Are we living according to the customs of this society rather than the customs of the kingdom of God? Scene number three. Scene number three. This is Joseph and five of his brothers standing before Pharaoh. So let's read the first six verses of chapter 47. Joseph and his brothers standing before Pharaoh. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land, Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So we we see again that Joseph was very thoughtful about how he would go about making this request of Pharaoh. He went before Pharaoh himself first. And then, instead of bringing in all 11 of his brothers and putting them before Pharaoh, he chose five of them. And I think we can assume that he chose the five that he suspected were the best behaved and the most respectful, the ones who would give the best impression. It isn't all that surprising that Pharaoh asks them, what is your occupation? That's the question that we often ask men, especially when we meet them for the first time. Oh, what do you do? Right? And so Pharaoh sees these men and he says, so what, what do you do? And they answered honestly, we are shepherds. And they requested the land of Goshen as a place to dwell. And God worked, and Pharaoh responded with kind generosity, even more than what they expected. Pharaoh says, the entire land of Egypt is before you. Wherever you want to dwell in the kingdom, you have my permission. And by the way, this shows the high esteem that Pharaoh had for Joseph, that he would grant this privilege to Joseph's family. Pharaoh even asked Joseph if some of his brothers or their sons might be able to care for his own livestock. And so Israel and his family were given the freedom to dwell in Goshen, and they were looked upon with favor by the Pharaoh. They were even given the great honor of caring for the royal herds and the royal flocks. So what's the lesson for us? Let me remind you that the Israelites who first read this scroll were the children of those who had just come out of Egypt in the Exodus. They were well aware of how things had changed. Before they left Egypt, they had been slaves. 
The Pharaoh did not show favor to them. The the Pharaoh refused to let them go. The Pharaoh had increased their hardships and their burdens. No longer had the people of Israel been protected from prejudice and hostility. Just the opposite. The Egyptians had become their masters. The great favor that we see Pharaoh showing towards Israel in Genesis 47 is gone by Exodus chapter 1. Now what's the lesson? It's truth number three. The best gifts of this world will not last. The best gifts of this world will not last. Don't get me wrong. Be thankful for the gifts when they come. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When kind providences come your way, be grateful. But Mount Hermon, be prepared to watch the best gifts of this life slip away. Remember that your greatest material possessions will be left behind when you die, if not sooner. You will be separated from those who are most dear to you through death, either yours or theirs. Don't let your heart become too consumed with life here. Set your heart on the world to come. Long for the day when you will be home. Let your love for Jesus and your desire to be home with Him drive everything that you do in this world. Be so heavenly minded that you can be of some earthly good. Store up treasures in heaven. Work to see others be there with you. But don't assign too much value to the stuff of this world that is passing away. Yes, you may have the favor of Pharaoh today, but it will be gone tomorrow. Yes, our nation gives us wonderful freedoms as Christians today, but they can be taken away tomorrow. Home, heaven, that's where we will have eternal joy and peace and security as we live in the presence of Christ forever. Long for that day. Hunger and thirst for that day. Do you? Even now, are you longing for it? As you're waiting, work. As you're waiting, be faithful. But wait eagerly. Anticipate the day when you will be home. The best gifts of this life slip away. Christ is forever. Our final scene, our final truth. Jacob, dad, Israel. He stands before Pharaoh, an old man. Let's read it. Verses 7 through 12. Chapter 47, 7 through 12. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning, there's that word again, are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. 
And then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And that is Goshen, by the way. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Now, by the way, quickly note that last verse. Note that Joseph was in a position to care for his family, and he took it upon himself to do so. That should remind us of 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It is incumbent upon all of us to follow Joseph's example and to make sure that we are taking care of our families. But now picture old Jacob standing before Pharaoh. Here is Jacob, the man who has lived that Bedouin lifestyle for 130 years. And he admits that his days have been hard. He describes his days as few and evil. He has lived the life of a sojourner in this world. He even uses that word sojourner to describe his own life and to describe the life of his father Isaac and to describe the life of his grandfather Abraham. And Jacob says, my own sojourning has been fewer than the sojourning that they had. Jacob has lived as they did. Jacob has lived as the follower of a true God, longing for the great heavenly kingdom, surrounded by people who worship idols and live according to the flesh. Friends, Jacob at this point is a man at the end of his life. And he's tired, and he's weary, but he's holding on. And he stands before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is the exact opposite. Pharaoh is the opposite of a sojourner. Pharaoh is very much a man at home in this world. He himself is worshipped by the Egyptian people as a god. Pharaoh is experiencing the very best of what this life has to offer. He is no Bedouin. He is a king living a life of luxury. He doesn't dwell in tents. He dwells in the best of Egyptian society. He is the most powerful man on the planet in that day. Pharaoh's life is not a life of weariness. Pharaoh's life is not a life of toil. Pharaoh's life is a life of feasting, a life of luxury, a life of ruling. He is esteemed by all others around him. And so let me ask you a question. And you answer it honestly from your heart. Which one would you rather be? Which man would you prefer? The one who has the easy life at home in this world, fully given to the best this life has to offer? Or would you prefer to be the wearisome sojourner, still longing for a better world, tired, but trusting that his God's going to bring him to it? Who would you say is the greater man here, Jacob or Pharaoh? Here's our last truth. The sojourner is greater than the citizen. The sojourner is greater than the citizen. The one who is traveling through this world, longing for the world to come, facing every obstacle and every trial with faith, he is greater than the one who embraces the very best this world has to offer. Our passage makes that clear by twice telling us that Jacob blessed Pharaoh 
Jacob comes before Pharaoh and blesses him. They have their conversation, and then Jacob blesses Pharaoh again and then walks out. Why is that important? Why is it important that Jacob blessed Pharaoh? Hebrews 7, verse 7, It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Blessings always go from the superior to the inferior. Dear friends, sometimes it can be very hard to be a sojourner in this world. And sometimes we can begin to wonder if it's really worth it. Maybe I should just give up on being a disciple of Jesus. Wouldn't my life be so much easier if I just lived how I want to live? If I just flowed with the culture? Maybe I should just reject all this Christianity stuff. Maybe I should just embrace the the way of my flesh and the way of my world. Then life wouldn't be so stinking hard. But in the end, all will be clear. All will be made right. The citizen of this world who rejected God and lived according to worldliness, he will receive his reckoning from God. But those who humbled themselves like children and submitted to Christ in faith and trusted Him even when it was hard through all kinds of difficult obstacles and trials, the humble will be exalted. The sojourner will find his place as a citizen in the new heavens and the new earth with the Lord God. As a lot of people like to say on Passion Week, It's Friday now, but Sunday's coming, right? We're in the Friday, but Sunday's coming. So here's how I would close. Is there anyone in this room who is living as a citizen of this world rather than a sojourner? I hold out to you the life of a Christian, and I invite you to become a part of this group of people who are looking to Jesus alone for salvation. We trust Christ. We trust that by following Him, He will bring us safely to heaven. We believe there is more to this life than what you can see or what you can touch. And quite frankly, we're staking everything on this book called the Bible. If it's true, we're okay. If it's not, we're in a lot of trouble. We are sojourners, and we are staking everything on this Word. Would you like to join us? If you would like to join us as sojourners in this world, I offer you a life of hardship. I offer you a life that will require sacrifice. I offer you a life that will mean enduring difficulties as you have to change habits, as your mindset has to be reworked by the Word of God. You're going to look different from your your neighbors around you. I set before you a life of carrying a cross. But I also set before you the only way to heaven in a way that is safe, in a way that has been paved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Trust Him. Look to Him. Follow Christ as a sojourner in this world, and you will be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, where we will dwell with our God forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.